0: Three, two, one, roll the
1: footage!
0: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today, my guest has over 30 years of business experience with executive teams, talking leadership, talking performance, talking performance under pressure. was What does leadership and performance look like when it's tough? He has worked with high-stress environments like the US Marines, the NASA, Intel, Goldman Sachs, and even surgeons. We will dive deep today into what it means to lead under stress. Welcome, everybody, Bill Benjamin. Hey, on, great. Wow, everybody's excited. And Bill, what are you currently creating?
1: We are working on something called the Last 8% Academy. And that's really all about its training that will help people approach what we call their last 8% moments with courage and skill. Now, you might be wondering, well, what's last 8%? If you are, then mission accomplished. The last 8% is really all about the things that are most difficult, the things that we have to do that are uncomfortable. Most of us are pretty good at the first 85, 90, 90, 92% as as an example of a conversation where we have to give somebody some difficult feedback or share something that might be upsetting to them. We get 90, 92% of the way there and suddenly the other person starts reacting emotionally and we tend to step back a little bit. We don't really step in and say that last 8%, the part that really needs to be said. But we fool ourselves that hey we did have the conversation but then they go away thinking we have the conversation and then things don't change and we wonder why we know from research that 68 percent of people when it comes to difficult conversations that last eight percent they avoid they either avoid the conversation completely or they avoid really having the full conversation now the other 32 percent and i'm more like this when when the conversation starts to get tense When things get emotional, they get emotional. I get defensive. Now I'm making a mess of the conversation. So we talk about people either being avoiders or make a messers. (laughs) As we workshop this with clients, they told us, well, it isn't only conversations where I have these last 8% moments. There's difficult decisions I have to make. There's the first 92% where everyone's agreeing and that's easy, then there's those last 8% where someone's not gonna be happy, someone's not gonna like the decision that I made. And again, I, I tend to either avoid that or just you know, make the decision to make a mess of it. Um, there's many other kinds of last 8% situations, having to give a presentation. You know, for many people, that's, that's the biggest fear they have is you know, public speaking, you know, taking on a project where you don't have all the skills. There's many of these last 8% moments. The reason we know that they're critical, how we perform in these last eight percent moments, because this is when the pressure and the stress is on, is that that's when emotions get triggered. And when the emotional part of our brain gets triggered, chemicals get released into our body and our brain. One of those chemicals is cortisol. Now that does a number of things. But one of the things cortisol does is it causes memories to be seared in. So in those tough last eight percent moments, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember how you showed up in the 92% of moments. They remember those tough or difficult moments. That's why you can do something right nine times out of 10, but that one time you messed it up, that's what everyone remembers. So your reputation, how you build trust and connection and relationships, that's all established in these last 8% moments.
0: How does it feel to master the 8%?
1: Well, I wouldn't know because I haven't mastered it yet. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. That's a really great question. Because what happens in last 8% moments is when we have those initial negative experiences, which most of us do, we kind of decide, well, I guess I'm not good at that. Or those things don't go well. And so we tend to avoid them. And, but we know we're avoiding. And so we tend to, then we start feeling bad. Then we start feeling a little bit of regret and shame, like I, I know I should be stepping and I, I know, or I made a mess of it and I shouldn't have said what I said and I wish I hadn't sent that email. So not being skillful at it can lead to some shame and regret. On the other side, as people start to build the skills, the emotional intelligence skills that enable us to do this skillfully, you start to feel better about yourself. You start to feel like, wow, I'm having the impact I wanna have. Because so often, you know, the other person, they need to hear this feedback, or you need to make the tough decision, you start, to, you start to build that confidence and that self-esteem that, hey, you can do this. You can step into those difficult situations and lead effectively. So it feels great, actually, when you do.
0: Why do so many of us avoid the, the last
1: 8%? Yeah, I mean, the emotional part of our brain is there to protect us from any harm. So it's the same part of our brain that if you were in the jungle and a tiger jumped out at you, would immediately cause a cascade of chemicals into your body and your brain, and we get ready for fight or flight. So that part of our brain that's there to protect us, when we have to go into a difficult conversation, that part of the brain is already on high alert. It's already triggered, especially if it's gone badly a couple times. It's like if you're in the jungle and you know there's a tiger out there and you hear wind rustling in the bushes. What do you assume the wind is? Well, you assume it's a tiger. Now, there's two tigers. There's the real one, and there's the one you're imagining. So we can just think about having to have that difficult conversation, and that emotional system triggers. And that emotional system moves us toward default behaviors, fight or flight, which is make a mess or avoid. So it's really emotions that cause us to want to either avoid or make a mess of last 8% moments. That's a great question, Simon
0: does it get better with age
1: you know it depends on the person many people yeah they they do get wiser they have you know some experiences where they where they do have the courage and they do step in and it doesn't go as horribly as they imagined it would in fact it has a positive outcome Um, you know they just they become wiser they're more able to manage their emotions because again, as I go into communicating a difficult decision or into a tough conversation, if my emotions are already triggered, then I'm much more likely to trigger the other person. So with age, you know, a little bit of that stress, a little bit of that pressure, we can manage it more effectively. However, there are people where it's the opposite and, and we've all met them, right? They, they become more negative, they have difficult experiences, they become more resistant, you know, I, I'm, I'm no good at this and it's tougher for them. So it can go either way, really.
0: What about relationships? Because you work mainly with executive and this is where we will go most. But what about the everyday relationships, marriages? Is it, hmm. is it the same thing, 8%, 8% there?
1: Absolutely. In, in fact, you know, in our training, a lot of what people do apply this, this learning to and the skills we teach is to their personal relationships and the emotional brain doesn't care whether i'm dealing with a difficult peer or employee or my wife or partner or husband or wife or or partner it can learn to be more effective and in fact i mean you know our personal relationships with our kids i have two teenage daughters so i'm constantly having to practice managing emotions they create last eight percent every every day day. every day is eight percent exactly um so Absolutely. This applies both personally and professionally.
0: I was I was invited by my kids to learn the eight percent because they, you know, three years old, six years old, they 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 are a mirror and they are in the here and now and they are unafraid. And so they would say, Papa, when are you gonna die? And right. we would talk about you know the cadence of death and uh, what it what it means and what happens and Papa what is the soul and so we are right there at dinner we are eight percent territory.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and and kids, as you say, are mirrors, and they're really mirrors uh, because m- most of behavior in kids is driven by modeling, and so they model us. So you know, if I'm yelling at my daughter to be quiet. All I'm teaching her is to yell when she's upset. I'm actually teaching her the exact opposite of what I'm trying to get her to do. So, you know, how we show up in those last 10% moments with our kids has a huge impact on them and what their default behaviors will be as they grow up.
0: And they see us talking to our team members, to our dearest ones and how we deal with the difficult situations, right? That, that's why it matters. Your work really matters. And um, I'm curious, when you stand in front of Goldman Sachs, of NASA, uh, how does the work look like?
1: So the, the core of what we're teaching, which is about how our emotional brain works when we're in these last 8% moments, is the same. I mean, I, I've been to you know, 30 countries, as you say, I've been to you know, all kinds of different places, work with surgeons and NASA engineers. What's different is the application of it. What's different are the cultural norms and behaviors. So, for example, in Saudi Arabia, it's acceptable to yell at people. In Asia, it's not even acceptable to disagree with your boss. So, some of the learned default behaviors, you know, in some organizations, you know, like Intel would describe themselves as, you know, we're criticizing somebody's ideas like a sport. Whereas other cultures would say, oh, we have a nice culture, but so people don't. Give feedback. So it really so so the core learning is the same. it's the application to the specific environment that's different.
0: And they would see criticizing the idea, not the person, right? So you can criticize my project, criticize my product. it's not me that you're criticizing, so I take it uh, in a sportive way.
1: the The challenge is that many people have trouble differentiating the criticism of my idea with me. And so part of the reason I'm, you know, we were working with Intel is because that doesn't work as well, because then people can get resistant and they can be closed minded and defensive when their ideas are being criticized. So, you know, how do you still challenge? How do you still give the feedback, but do it in a more skillful way? Because this is relevant
0: for every team listening right now. They go, oh. Yeah, we also need to give critic, but how do we make it non-personal? Because we are a team. We are here to win. We are here to to learn. We need these yeah. feedback loops as as tough and as solid as possible. How can we separate it? How can we not take it personal?
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, that, I mean honestly, that's what we're teaching in our last 8% Academy. That's that's the work that we do with organizations and individuals. Um, know i I was with a group of uh, 200 emergency room doctors i actually got to do a presentation in person in early december i don't know how many of those i'll be doing in the next few months but i was in person with with a number of emergency room doctors and we were talking about these difficult last eight percent moments and one guy stood up and said you know my difficult moment is having to have an end of life conversation with a family whose loved one is in icu on a ventilator and they can't see them and i just thought wow like what's a more difficult conversation to have to have. And he and he said, and I would get in there and it would be very emotional and I'd forget what to say. I'd forget how to say it skillfully because his emotions were taking over. So what we're trying to teach is when you're in those difficult moments, how can you manage your emotional brain so that you can step in and be skillful?
0: Wow. Where do you take your inspiration from?
1: From... Having struggled in my life, uh, I have degrees in mathematics and computer science. And when I was first working in the computer software industry, I was pretty successful as an individual contributor. And then I got promoted. <laughs> um, and you know I took the same approach uh, that I did as an individual contributor to leadership, you know, being the smartest guy in the room, telling everyone what to do. You know, I'd seen football coaches. they just yell at everybody, right? Isn't that what you do as a leader? And I really struggled. And it impacted me personally. It impacted me in business. And I got introduced to this work 20 years ago and it really helped me. It really helped me be a better leader. It helped me be a better you know, father. And so I I get inspired because I want other people to learn what I've learned. I want other people to be the best version of themselves as much as possible. We can't be perfect, but I want them to learn what I've learned about being effective in Last 8% moments.
0: And I'm curious, if you can pick only one person, when everybody's zigging, that person is zagging, and you can give them the strategy award, who do you pick?
1: I mean, that, that's kind of easy for me. It's my business partner, Dr. J.P. Fry. He, he founded the company. He's the one that came up with the concept of Last 8%. The other place he's zagging, or zigging, I'm not sure which it is, <laughs> is Traditionally, we've delivered our training as facilitator led. So, whether that's in class or it's a virtual class with breakout rooms, there's a facilitator leading it. This Last 8% Academy takes advantage of digital and social learning. So, it's a whole new way of delivering our training. There's interactive videos, there's podcasts, there's worksheets, and then there's a couple of social learning components to create a really powerful six week program. And it was really his vision to come up with a completely new way. It's the same content, it's the same learning outcomes, but it's a very different way of delivering the learning where the learner has more control. So it's not show up you know, on this class, it's you can watch these videos when you have time because people, it's, it's a struggle to get time in people's calendars these days. So it's a completely different way of learning.
0: And I guess it's all about practice. So you give them the, the video and the exercise and then they do it and practice it. Do they record their session and send it over to you and you give them feedback? how How do you coach them over distance? How do they how do you see their practice?
1: So two ways. Um, so the social learning components are we ha- we do have live classes where we get a cohort together, and we talk about putting things into practice, successes, challenges. You know we put them in breakout rooms where they share with another person. That's one way. The other way is we set them up with a peer coach. So somebody from the program, two, pe- two people from the program, peer coach each other. And as you can imagine, some people, that's the best part of the program because they, you know, they get connected with someone who's like them, who has struggles and has had some experience and has asked great questions and shares ideas. And so we, we include the peer coaching in this as well.
0: I want to hear the three books that inspire you most after one word from our sponsor. Hey, if you like the tools, go grab them for free at com slash tools. Are there t- books that inspired you most?
1: Absolutely. You know, the first one is Emotional Intelligence by Dan Goleman. And it's it's a bit of a tough book. Some people struggle reading it. So I, I don't know that I actually recommend it, but it inspired me. It was it was back, you know, twenty, twenty, twenty-five years ago when I was first learning as a guy with degrees in mathematics and computer science, that actually being the smartest guy in the room wasn't the best way to lead. Learning to connect, manage emotions, motivate, engage, inspire in a different way, um, learning to manage my brain because I would get triggered emotionally and I would make a mess or I would avoid conversations. And so the Emotional Intelligence book just really inspired me to approach things from a different way. So that's the first book. Uh, The second one that is more recent I love is 10% Happier, by Dan Harris, and I just love this concept because so many of these self-help books, it's some huge transformation or transformational change, and suddenly you're going to be Zen and all this stuff. And Dan's like, no, you know, that's not for me. But if I could just do something that would make me 10% happier, I that that's cool. I could do that. And then he describes his experience as a skeptic with meditation and mindfulness. And it's really funny and it's really interesting and it's really inspiring. And so it's really helped me. And I'm not a, you know, sit for an hour, go to a 10 day meditation retreat guy, but I do practice mindfulness and I do meditate occasionally. And I found it really helpful and and that book inspired me. And the third one, and this is more personal, is the five love languages that's a great book i mean my wife and i we read that and realized we have completely different love languages i'm words of affirmation and she's you know actions or i forget exactly the term but you know terms of actions of service or something like that so i'd be giving her words of affirmation assuming because that's what i like that that's a value she's like "Oh, that's nice but whereas she's doing acts of service for me and i'm like well that's nice but, you know, you didn't affirm it. So it was a really helpful book for my wife and I in terms of figuring out, you know, how we could better value and appreciate each other.
0: Beautiful. And um, I also like his podcast. He has a 10% happier podcast, which
1: is pretty cool. He does. It's, it's excellent. And yeah. he's got a 10% happier app, which has guided meditations on it. And again, I don't like every meditation, but man, there's a couple people on there that I just love listening to. So again, for people who haven't been introduced to meditation and mindfulness, you know, rather than just sort of sitting there trying to do it yourself, you have somebody guide you through it. And that's much more effective for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it took me like 15 years of of yoga and long retreats, etc., to then um, realize that it's really tough for me to just sit. And then for years I had I had zero practice and I had given up on meditating. Yeah. And then yeah. and then I found the Wim Hof breathing seventeen minutes. And now I do that every day 17 minutes. So so if somebody's listening and struggling with meditation, um, there are there are smaller ways to get back yeah. on track. And for me it was breathing. Seventeen minutes of Wim Hof breathing, I was back on track
1: good for you. You know, and I think one of the biggest things is when it's when we're struggling with it is feeling like, well, we're doing this wrong. I'm no good at this. And in the practice of mindfulness, there is no wrong. There is no right or wrong way to do it. It's just what's your experience? Where's your mind taking you and noticing that? And then you know, centering back on your breathing. But if, if you meditate for 10 minutes, and for nine minutes and 30 seconds, your mind was racing, that's okay that's learning, that's some self-awareness about what your mind does.
0: How does a day in your life look like? How how do your practices look like
1: currently? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do try to practice uh, meditation in the morning. Uh, I try to exercise most days. Um, I prefer exercising in the afternoon after work um, and then during work. Um, you know, obviously I've got my, my clients I'm working with. I've got the team. We have employees in the team that I'm working with. Strategy, all that stuff, um, and then I always try to make some time—at least two or three times a week—for some sort of learning, listening to a podcast, reading something, watching someone's, you know, TED talk, um, because you know I'm I'm an aggressive learner and I want to keep learning. And then and then some time with my, and then some time with my kids in there and and you know and my wife. Eight percent training right there. Yeah. What are you excited
0: about looking forward with your your ventures?
1: Well, this Last 8% Academy is, is still fairly new. Uh, we, we've piloted it. Uh, we've had three cohorts go through. We've gotten great feedback. And so I'm just, I'm just really excited about the impact that that can have for people because we all struggle at times, right? We all have things that are difficult, these last 8% moments. And when we can overcome those and, and feel like we can handle those, we can handle that pressure, as you asked me earlier, we feel so much better right? We don't wake up in the middle of the night worrying about something. You know, we're not constantly stressing about it. And so I'm I'm just excited about, you know, having a positive impact on people.
0: What would you say to the people that are sleeping badly right now?
1: I mean, do what you're doing now invest some time. They're listening to this podcast, (laughs) you know, invest some time in finding ways that are most effective for you to learn, whether that's podcasts, Again, whether that's you know watching videos, whether it's reading, whether it's going to a training program, um, you know, whether it's having a coach um, or therapist, uh, you know, either way, um, is to find ways to learn because the brain can change. So one of the biggest things is, and you may have read uh, Carol Dweck's uh, mind book, mindset some people have what's called a fixed mindset which is just assume this is the way i am you know what i just wake up in the middle of the night stressing that's just who i am whereas if we have a um a uh, oh god fixed mindset and what was growth. the other mindset anyway, growth but, mind. oh, thank you growth mindset <laughs> that's the name of the book uh, uh and with age my memory is not, uh, failing me at times by the way i always say at this age my brain is full anytime a new memory comes in one One has to go. (laughs) But I don't get to pick which one falls out. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so Carol Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, um, talks about a growth mindset, which means we believe we can change and get different. And that's the great news. No matter how much stress or pressure you're feeling, no matter how unskillful you are in your last 8% conversations, you can change your brain. You can get better at this. So that that's the other encouragement I would give to anybody that's listening is don't assume, you know, you're just stuck the way you are.
0: Because this year has been stressful for pretty everybody. And uh, not just the distress of, you know, having to pivot, having supply chains not working and having to let go of so many things and people, but also the positive opportunities that were disrupting. If I... I was so stressed out to understand Bitcoin and blockchain and to jump onto it, of course, and to use the opportunities. But then I observed mm-hmm. myself and I was like, hey, Simon, even the opportunity side, it's highly stressful. You you look like a day trader right now trying to understand blockchain. It's yeah. highly stressful. Are we all stressed out um, meanwhile?
1: Oh, I mean, definitely stress levels are much higher. Um, you know, rates of depression, even teen suicide. I mean, it's it's so tough on the the young kids. So absolutely, there's even more of a need um, for this kind of work because yes, most people are feeling more stress, more pressure. I mean, you know, you you talk about having to learn new things. Back in March of 2020, when the pandemic first hit, 90% of our training was in person, was classroom. So we spent three weeks losing 90% of our revenue. So we had to pivot. Now we already had a virtual solution, but we had a three-year plan to roll that out. It became our flagship product overnight. And so, yeah, we had to completely recalibrate. And the great news now is, is because it's now virtual, we can teach anybody anywhere in the world. We've got people from all over the world coming into these training programs. Or before, you know, if somebody in Budapest or Singapore wanted to do the program, we'd have to fly somebody there or teach somebody there locally to deliver the training. Now they can come on. Now we have facilitators who have to deliver at 11 o'clock at night or five in the morning. Um, but in this new Last 10% Academy, the digital solution, again, it can be done from anywhere in the world. Um, so it has created more opportunity for us. So Out of a big challenging situation has come opportunity, You're absolutely.
0: And I love it. We had the same situation. We had a, a long term plan, which said at one point, all our consultancy will be online, just wherever people are. It happens on their phone, wherever they are. Nobody mm-hmm. has to fly anymore. And it was pre, pre-pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, we, we just had to pull it forward, basically, just to prioritize it. Yeah. And that is maybe the positive part of stress, right? Some people, they look for stress. They put onto their three years plan something stressful, something that is a stretch goal. Yes. And it makes well, them ready.
1: Stress, stress actually motivates us. We actually need a little bit of stress. If we, don't, if, if we don't have a little bit of stress, then we become complacent. Whereas a little bit of stress, it causes us to, to take action. But if it becomes too much, then it starts to degrade our performance. So it's really about finding that balance of, yeah, taking on new things, doing things that are uncertain, which is also better for our brains. We keep our brains more active. If, if we're doing the same thing over and over again, and we're comfortable all the time, our brain actually starts to shrink. Whereas if we're trying different things, if we're doing things that are last day, if we're stepping into last 8 percent moments, the things that are stressful and uncomfortable, our brain grows and develops new neural pathways. So it's literally better for our brain.
0: And and I remember, and, and I experienced this all the time again and again, how hard it is when you begin something early. Because I remember talking to the camera, right? Like we are talking now, yep. uh, five years ago, eight years ago. And, and my friends were saying, what are you doing, Simon? Talking to a camera, to a light. And I say, yeah, I know, I know, it's so strange and it feels strange. But you know what? In ten years, this will be normal communication, and I want to be ready. Uh, I don't want to learn all at once when I have to. I want to. Pre- I want to enjoy this. I I want. Mm-hmm. I want to become like a fish in the water in the the communication that will be needed. And mm-hmm. uh, and they were like, yeah, but that's so stressful. And I go, yeah, yeah, it's stressful, but mm-hmm. and. Uh, and in pandemic, I was, yeah, that it, same situation. Right. Uh, I, I was ready to react. So how do we deal with that? We know what's right. We start doing it, but it feels strange and confidence is low. Am I sure?
1: Mm. I mean, that's where um, self-awareness comes in and self-awareness is at the foundation of emotional intelligence. Because what's keeping us from acting in those situations is fear and, and emotion. And so if we can recognize, well, well, what is the fear? I'm worried about failing, or I'm worried about people not respecting me, or I'm worried about, you know, and any number of things. And so when we can recognize why we're not stepping into those situations, then we can learn to manage it. So you know, self-awareness is absolutely critical in terms of being able to deal with those kinds of challenging situations.
0: If teams want to find your trainings, your academy, where can they find it?
1: So they can go to last8%.com and the 8 is the number, the last8%.com. Um there we have a whole, you know, description of what last8% is. You'll meet my my business partner Dr. JP Palu Fry. Uh, we do have a um kind of smaller digital course that costs $25. And so that's a great way to get introduced to this content, this work. It doesn't have the social learning stuff that I talked about, but it's sort of and it's a smaller subset of the full academy. Um, But it's a great way to get introduced. And so yeah, there's lots of great videos and information at last8percent.com.
0: Bill Benjamin, everybody, and where do you hang out? Do you have a favorite social media place?
1: Social media? Uh, I'm uh, LinkedIn. You know, I know it's more business i was facebook for a while but you know i kind of got tired of seeing people's you know kids eat hot dogs um or throw up hot dogs or whatever um but, by the way the other one i do hang out in snapchat because my daughter hangs out there and in fact if i want to communicate with her and get her to respond snapchat works much much better than texting or a phone call <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I do hang out on snapchat
0: And how does that shortness of the communication? Is it easier to talk eight percent when it's gone later?
1: Say that again. When it's when it's so Snapchat
0: is the message disappears, right? Oh, so is it easier to go into the eight percent when the message disappears later?
1: I mean, honestly, my recommendation would be: do not try to communicate a last eight percent conversation in social media or text or even email. It really needs, in at least over the phone, you, you need to be able to hear how someone's responding. Ideally, it's video, so there's that connection. So, yeah, I mean, that's rarely going to go well. Um, I mean, having said that, I know these young kids; they break up with each other over text, and um, you know, yeah, that's the world we're living in, I guess. And Bill, who
0: should be my next guest?
1: You know, I, I thought I, I, you know, have a. Couple of people that I really like, but one of the ones I thought of, um, her name is Lisa Earl McLeod, and she's you know just a, a great person, super smart, great energy, and she focuses on sales and sales leadership. And I thought that might be something that would be really valuable to your audience. So I think Lisa would be a great guest for you guys.
0: Super cool! Thank you so much, Bill, for being here, sharing your knowledge with us, and um, thank you. Keep rolling.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with
1: one-on-one Sprint Coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.